On today's episode of the Private Practice MBA, what to do when you have multiple owners in your business. There is no doubt about it. The business of medicine is sick. And that's why the team at Amelia Aesthetics created the Private Practice MBA podcast, where we unpack practical solutions to help plastic surgeons, residents, and even your private practice staff to go further, faster. I'm your host, Greta Nance, and each week on the podcast, we'll listen to and then break down a short lesson from our completely free business course found at theprivatepracticemba.com. Let's get started. My guest in the studio today is Robbie Poe, COO of Amelia Aesthetics, author and one of the private practice MBA instructors. The lesson we'll be listening to today is all about multi-owner businesses. First, we hear from Robbie and then Dr. Jeremy Pyle, CEO of Amelia Aesthetics. After the lesson, Robbie and I will be back in the studio to discuss it. So one of the most common questions we get around this topic of business owner is, what happens if I'm in a business where there's more than one owner? These multiple owner businesses, they're super common, especially in the space of medicine, right? And one of the biggest mistakes that multi-owner businesses make is not establishing a clear understanding of who in the world is sitting in the CEO business owner seat. What I'm about to say is so important. If you want your business to successfully run on autopilot, only one person can sit in the seat of CEO business owner at the top of your organization. Said differently, you can't half butt cheek this seat with another person. Believe me, like I realize how emotional of a statement that this could be, but you have to understand that anything with more than one head is a monster. And that's exactly what you're going to create if you don't clearly communicate and rigidly adopt an organizational structure with a single person who is viewed as being ultimately in charge. Now, this is a reality that we live with at Amelia every day. Dr. Pyle and I are both owners of Amelia, but I'm not the person in the business owner seat, and the entire team knows that. I'm very comfortable with the fact that Dr. Pyle is the only one with a trump card. And part of my job is being a great team member and deferring to him in all of the most appropriate moments. Now, I realize this concept, this is just one of those that's a lot easier for me to say than it is to do or to implement, but I can promise you, you can either work through the tension of constructively identifying who's in charge, or you are gonna forever live with the pain and inefficiencies of having not had the courage and humility to do so. Hi, Robbie. I'm excited to talk about this topic today. <laughs> it seems like one of the most face punchy or potentially emotional or scary topics we've talked about. Um, but I'm equally excited to share what we've learned and why this is so important. So let's start first. You mentioned uh, a business with two, biz two owners is a two-headed monster. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> I am not excited about talking about this. Like this is <laughs> su this is such a difficult conversation. It's honestly 
more emotional even than the money conversations that we have around all of this business operating system stuff. But nevertheless, like it's that important that we have to kind of wade into it a little bit. And I think I think the thing that all of us can agree on, regardless of where we are at in an organization, whether we're at ground floor, very tactical work, or we're owners of the practice ourselves, the thing that I think all of us can agree on is that alignment and clarity are critical components of a successful practice. I don't think that anyone would ever come to the table and say, you know what's wrong with this place? We're too aligned. You know what's wrong with this place? There is too much clarity on what's going on and the decisions being made. And unfortunately, per, like we live in this non-utopian society. Like relationships are not perfect. There's always disagreement. There's always unalignment. There's always different perspectives. And if as practice owners and as business leaders, we want to be able to say, we have alignment and clarity around all of the most important decisions within our practice, then we have to go through the difficult emotional labor of saying the way that we do that is even in a practice with multiple owners, someone has to carry the one trump card. Someone has to be that one person who when alignment and clarity isn't happening, that that one person is able to come to the table and say, I've heard what everyone's saying, compassionately, I appreciate your feedback, but this is the direction we're going. And then no one is able to argue or like try to power up over that person. And you know, what's interesting is, I think that sometimes the default that is actually super unwise is, well, then who has the majority of ownership? Who's the majority owner? That person mm -hmm. should be the person who holds the trump card. And at least in my experience and in our experience, that isn't always the right answer. Mm -hmm. We're talking about it from the business or practice owner's perspective, mm -hmm. but tell me why this is also so important from the teammate's perspective. Well, I was sharing that a little bit with you earlier. I mean, but... I'm on the owner side. So why don't so so yeah. so Dr. Pyle and I are both owners of the same business mm -hmm. and we had to decide who is the person who carries the trump card. And so mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm probably a little bit too close to it. And I know I've heard you talk about the mom and dad analogy. And so <laughs> like you tell me, like you tell the audience, like what, why is this as a team member such an important topic for you? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I can. I have been in this industry for 19 years. I've gotten to go to other practices and talk to other people who work in this industry or in the medical field. I don't know why it's so common for multiple surgeons to be owners. And all it causes is confusion, like you were saying, not being aligned. But we're just going to go, if mom doesn't give us the answer we want, we're just going to go to dad. Mm -hmm. Or there's always somebody that each team member leans into, and then they become the favorite. And I just think it's really, it becomes, there's always going to be times where someone doesn't agree. Should we fire this person or not? Should we hire this person or not? 
And uh, if there's not just one person ultimately making that decision, it's so tough to know what to come in and do every day as a team. Who do I look to? Whose core values should I, who should I mimic or watch? Mm -hmm. um, I think Dr. Pyle, we're gonna listen to his part in a moment, but he gives a good example of, well, I better not answer the phone. Like I know this surgeon doesn't like it, but I answer the phone this way. So let me make sure he's not in earshot so I can answer it this way. I've just, it is so, refreshing to be able to look to one person and watch and listen and read and absorb what way that where they want to go with our business. Yeah, that's right. Like it's it's the whole experience of being a team member when you don't know who exactly you're looking to is such a disconcerting ex like emotional experience. You know, of uh, and I, I've I, in in other businesses I've been in that seat where I'm like, God, who am I looking to here? And as a team member, the thing that ultimately we're all kind of after in our emotions is like this this feeling of everything's okay. And when mom and dad are always fighting, and mom and dad aren't getting along, and we're not we're not able to be like, okay, this is the one person who ultimately I know that we're following and who's making the decisions when that doesn't exist, it just creates turmoil from the top to the bottom of the organization. And what's so surprising to me that is so hard for sometimes practice owners to realize it's that you're going to have these difficult conversations, no matter what that so often it's just an avoidance of difficult conversations to name that person who sits the one person who sits at the top of the organizational chart. And it's like, you know what? It's too hard. It's too emotional. We'll, we'll, I would just rather avoid the conversations altogether where you're going to have them no matter what, because like, if you try to put two or three or four people at the top of an organizational chart, then you're going to have these disagreements when these big decisions come up. And if you think you're avoiding hard, hard conversations by not naming the one person who's going to make the call, you're signing up for hard, way more hard conversations later, way more emotionally charged conversations later. Just, just go ahead and do it. If you're in a business or you're heading towards a business with multiple owners, just go ahead and decide we're going to choose the one person who holds the trump card, not just for our own emotional sakes, but for the sake of our entire team. Thank you for having those hard conversations and making that easier for us. But you mentioned you and Dr. Pyle doing this. Can you, how did you guys decide who was gonna be the CEO or who held the trump card? Yeah, so in the business model that we follow, you know, we based everything that we do off this level 10 business framework and we kind of adapted it into the medical industry. But like that level 10 business framework, it taught us that the person sitting at the top of the organization needs to be what's called a visionary, needs to be what's called a conceiver, you know? And so in, in that seat, that person has some qualities and when you look at that list of qualities, when we looked at that list of qualities, it was very clear that that wasn't me, that that was Dr. Pyle, you know, and I'm certain that if the, the it had been flipped, Dr. Pyle would have been like, no, 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 Robbie, you should sit in that 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 top seat of CEO, CEO, you should sit in that top seat of visionary or conceiver. I just don't have the qualities, the skill sets to do that. So the qualities that that really define the person who really fits in naturally and the best at the top of the organizational chart. Like this is the person who has the most woo, like the, the ability to win others over, right? It's the person who is like, 
you know, just so charismatic. Like it's the person who who has 20 to 30 massive ideas just before they even get out of the shower in the morning. It's the, it's the person who relishes in developing big relationships. And uh, conversely, the one who kind of gets bored with those big relationships as it starts to get more tactical in, in, in the conversation. You know, like it's it, this this person who sits in this this top seat is the person who like is just the easiest and and the most like rewarding to follow. You know, like it's tough to follow me. I'm tough on people like like I'm way more of a hockey coach than I am anything else, if you will. And so, you know, that's a hard person to sit on top of the organizational chart because you know, I mean, Dr. Pyle walks around the office. He gives one person one high five or sends them a, a 17 word email and they save that email forever because it's so meaningful to them. You know, that's just not me. Like when we start talking about the business director or the integrator seat, however, the COO seat, however you want to talk about it, we looked at those qualities and we were like, oh, that's Robbie. And so I think it's again, it's just this once you really start to, to, to ask the question, who best fits in this seat? So often the answer is immediately clear. And for those of us, and I'm one of us, for those of us who are like, man, I kind of wanted to be on the top of the organizational chart. If we will just be humble and, and say, hey, I'm going to do what's best for this team. First and foremost, that's always our all of our job descriptions to do what's best for this team. And when we looked at what the, 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 the seats or the job descriptions were required of us, it was very clear. That's Dr. Pyle. He would be amazing as the CEO, the visionary, the conceiver of our organization. You make it sound so simple and that it worked out so perfectly for you guys, and I know it wasn't. So let's hear from CEO Dr. Jeremy Pyle on what he thought about multiple business owners. So there was an earlier video where Robbie explained that there's evidence, undeniable evidence that the field of medicine is sick. You've not asked me my opinion on why, but here it is. There's too much ego too many people who feel too entitled to make important decisions. It's not dependent on their skill set, their track record. Very commonly, it's just dependent on their desire to influence. In a hospital setting, this shows up where you have the people actually doing the things, physicians and the like, and then you have the administration full of people making decisions about how those other people should be doing things. In other words, the decisions are made by people who aren't doing, and the people who are doing feel like they should be making those decisions. That is a terrible way to build a relationship between two entities. And as a result, we've created a bunch of shitty workarounds in medicine. Administrators are forever bringing in consultants, so the changes that need to be instituted can be blamed on someone other than their own team. And doctors are forever resisting these changes because, well, doctors resist every change. And what results is a teeter-totter of ideas, none of which can be agreed upon, and neither side of which feels that they're being fully heard. And so when these ideas are implemented by the admin, they may not get orchestrated by the providers. And if the providers have a real way to improve a system, it never gets agreed upon by the admins. Medicine in the hospital is a perfect example of why two people in charge oftentimes has the same effect as zero people in charge. And if you don't believe me, let's go back to that statement that medicine is sick. It is undeniable. 
That same thing happens. The idea that two people in charge equals zero people in charge happens in the vast majority of private practices as well. One person often starts the practice, the next person joins in. And because there's no clear leadership structure amongst those partners in time, both persons, both people get to become an owner of the thing. And because neither partner is likely particularly adept at running a business, they both either lack the confidence to lead singularly, lack the humility to let the other person lead when they ought to, or just lack the time, this is probably the most common, just lack the time to really devote to becoming great at such a critically important thing. And I know I'm vastly overgeneralizing this thing. And I know there's a smidge of hyperbole in what I'm saying. But if you relieve a little bit of the anxiety and tension and the insult that you may hear, I suspect if you look without the influence of those things, you'll see there's something to what I'm saying. Because what results in this topic is something freaking unreasonable and crazy. We run multi-million dollar businesses without a clear leader. That is not mimicked anywhere else in business or the world, I imagine. What happens as a result of there being fogginess at the top of an organization is repeated again and again. Both owners are considered in charge or all partners are considered in charge. But because they're different humans, they'll do some things differently. And when they do some things differently, no one on their team knows which is the right way in their organization. So there's a whole bunch of whispered conversations around like, no, no, oh, Dr. X doesn't like us to do it like that. So when you answer the phone near Dr. Y, say this, but when you answer the phone near Dr. X, say this. And honestly, if you can, avoid answering the phone at all so you don't get in trouble. And if you don't think that's true, if you don't think that this is happening, if you think, nah, pile, you don't understand. My partner and I, we've got it figured out. Our team would never do that. We're complementary. We work well together. Mm-hmm, sure. But let me ask you this, have you ever taken a step back and both acknowledged that the way medicine does ownership, partnership, decision-making is different than literally every other business model in America? And have you ever wondered, should it be? I mean, Chipotle had two CEOs for a while, so have a few other companies. But no major corporation, no successful corporation, you can't look at success stories out in the world where something, an entity has thrived in the long term in a system where direction is determined by who got there first, whose turn it is to lead, or leadership by committee. So it's worth asking then, if it doesn't exist in the world, in really successful entities, if it only exists in this entity, which is at the very bottom of how businesses ought to be run, should it be? Should it be more common or should medicine maybe move away from that model? But there's a second side to this conversation, a second half, because the hardest part of multiple physicians acknowledging that one person should probably get the decision-making authority is that the person with whom that managing partner spends the most time working towards the decisions that are made and the resolutions that are sought isn't oftentimes the other doctors or the other partners. It's the business director. That's a lot. This is a lot in one video. I took shots at almost every practice that's run by a committee, which is to say almost every practice. And now 
I'm suggesting in the last moment that the second in command be someone other than the remaining partners. I know it sounds crazy, but before you turn this off, let me explain. Because without a business director, we are right back at the start, trying to figure out the opportunity cost to your practice when you and your partners are sitting around a meeting table trying to make decisions that so many other people in the world are well-suited and would be excited to make when oftentimes those decisions are made in a group of physicians reluctantly or not at all because of fear of hurting feelings and so on. In medicine, so often, and I don't think it's intentional, we've chosen ego over progress. All right, that was great. So glad to hear from Dr. Pyle on that. This is still, there's so much to unpack with this. But what if, and Robbie Poe, COO and business director, what if you really wanted to be the one holding the trump card, like you alluded to before, but you aren't? You know, what if this has been your goal all along, but you were in a practice with a more established surgeon? What do you do? Yeah, I, I honestly only think there are two options. That if, if, if you just say, hey, I'm committed to doing what's best for this practice. And if that landed you in a situation to where you you didn't get the seat you really hoped you, you, you were going to wind up in, you were like, I just feel like I am wired for that seat of visionary. You kind of have mm -hmm. two options. You can either get over it, like you can just say, you know what, like I'm gonna be a team player and I'm, I'm going to put this out of my mind and I'm just going to move on and I'm going to do what I can do with where I am at in the organization. Or you call us and open your own Amelia. Like it's just like you, you, you go and open your own practice, right? Like if you, if you're just to the point where you're like, I can't get over this. I like, I, I know that I am, I am capable of this. I know I want it. I know that this is the next step in my career and you're in a practice with multiple owners, your only other option outside of buying out the a hundred percent of the practice and, 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 you know, probably starting a riot and, and, and a mutiny, you just got to say, if I'm not willing to buy into this, then I'm just going to go create my own thing. And that could, that could be opening an Amelia that could be opening your own practice. It, it's just, that's really the only two options that you've got either submit or go create your own thing. Well, you mentioned you got to either deal with it or live with it and find ways to add value. If I am the business owner, I am the surgeon CEO, and I have associates, how do I keep other plastic surgeons on my team happy not holding the trump card? Yeah, said differently, like, how do you, how do you keep a surgeon who's not an owner happy? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to answer this honestly. I don't think you can. Not long term. Surgeons became surgeons because they're all visionaries. Like most, like no normal human, you, me, no, pick anyone on our leadership team. None of us would say, you know what I think is a good idea and I have a, I have a, I have a clear enough vision for it that I'm willing to, to, take, to take on, blacking out 15 years of my life to get two letters after my name in hopes that I can succeed as a surgeon. Like surgeons don't give themselves enough credit. They're all visionaries. If you have those MD letters after your name, you are a visionary. And 
like because you you embarked on something that only a sliver of the entire population would ever even consider embarking on and you didn't just go after it you did it and so for that reason alone i don't think it's possible to keep non-surgeon owners happy long term ever because at some point that thing inside of them that drove them to become a surgeon to begin with is going to drive them to be a business owner it's always going to happen and so surgeons who own practices you have to have either a path to ownership within your practice or a path to ownership outside of your practice but to expect a surgeon to be the type of person who says you know what i just especially especially plastic surgeons like this i don't know if this this is quite true in in across all of healthcare but but there does seem to be this thing inside of the hearts and the minds of plastic surgeons that they're like i just want to eventually own my own thing and i think you can keep non-surgeon owners happy for a few years max but like you start butting up against 4 years 5 years and there still hasn't been ownership I promise you, you're going to have big problems because eventually that thing that is inside of every surgeon rears itself to this point where it's like, you know what? I want to do things my own way now, and I just haven't ever seen it. Maybe there are a few examples out there, but in our experience, we have never seen a surgeon be able to just hang out for seven, eight, ten years and not be an owner and be satisfied with that. So I just I don't think you can keep non-surgeon owners happy, non-owner um, surgeons happy for any longer than three years max. Got it. I did not expect you to be that honest, mm -hmm. but I'm glad. I I heard that too. Is in like they're the most aspirational. Yes humans i've ever met yes. i mean i have goals but i wasn't trying to go after something for 15 years and make all of the sacrifices That's like right. they are willing to put it all on the line and make life and death decisions i'm not willing to do that and there are so many decisions to be made when it comes to running a business mm -hmm. do we offer financing or not who do we serve what should our price be how big do you want to be there is no way two people can be completely aligned on all of those things There's and at some no point way. It's your livelihood. Those are the people you treat all day long. I want to have a say in the surgeries that I offer. I want to have a say in what my office feels like and the staff that I operate next to. It would be really tough to have gone through all of that and not feel like you had the ultimate decision on those things. Yep. Um, before we wrap this up, I know this was a lot. Is there anything else you have to say if someone is in, say, a practice already or is considering joining a practice with more than one owner. Yeah, I would just like say as leaders, owners or not, the singular thing that we should care, if it's missing, the singular thing that we should care most about adding is alignment and clarity within our practice. Because if we don't, everything else falls apart. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, like it is ultimately our job to lay down our own preferences in order to help the team succeed in serving the people who we exist to serve. We exist for the people we serve, the people we lead, and, the, and those who are outside of the four walls of our practice way before we ever exist for ourselves. And so I think as long as leaders were willing to say, I will do whatever it takes, I don't know what this even means yet, 
but I am, I am saying yes right now to doing whatever it takes to create a culture of alignment and clarity. Now, let's figure out what that means for me and my job description. If we will all start from that place, we will all create practices that not only have alignment and clarity, but that serve a number of patients that we couldn't even dream in our wildest dreams. That was so good. I'm glad we did this bonus episode for the business owner. You know, we'd done a kind of a six-part series of all of the core responsibilities and really what that seat looks like. And next week we get to dive into the business director. So I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about that. I'm so excited about the next episode. Um, make sure to sign up for a free account if you'd like to watch this episode online at the privatepracticemba.com. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Robbie. 